Welcome to So Here's My Theory, presented by Cinematicore.com, is part of the Art of Story series. So we have a very specific theory that Adam is going to be presenting to us, Adam Judd. Uh, what's on your mind? Um, <clears throat> so the theory I want to present today is uh, about the filmmaker or director as comedian. Uh <laughs> The way I uh, want to talk about it is first to talk about mostly when people talk about comedies in film, it's the there's the writing, there's the acting, and the filmmaking is to capture the comedy. And it's usually that's how it is, whether it's uh, a bromance from the 2000s or a uh, 90s. Uh, Jim Carrey movie. It's we're they're trying their best to capture what Jim Carrey can bring to make us laugh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love I love a lot of those things, but I want to talk about how the filmmaker themselves can bring comedy to it. Um, there's a few films I that I want to bring up to to get there, um, and I think actually I want to like this to be more of a conversation about that than me presenting the idea because there's some questions I have. Um, that I think we, that we can, br we, as we start answering it, we'll start to get at what makes the filmmaker a comedian. And, um, there's, a, there's a lot of directors that come to mind, um, as comedians and we'll get into that too. But to start off with, I mentioned bromance and there's a movie that I want to build that I want to, uh, kind of talk about for a second, uh, that will lead us to the rest of it, which is. Uh, in the 2000s, the bromance kind of grew out of this Judd Apatow thing of let's capture these, whether it's Seth Rogen or um, or a Melissa, McCar uh, Melissa McCarthy is like, let's capture these comedians being super funny. And then that grew into this bromance, uh, whether it's um, Yes Man or Superbad. And then a director came along who I think origin I don't know, I probably not consciously did this, but uh, they took a, a, a script that sh could have just been a serious drama about a guy in Wall Street manipulating uh, people and ruining their lives and instead made his version of a bromance movie. And that's The Wolf of Wall Street by Martin Scorsese, he uses very similar techniques and even casts Jonah Hill in the same, in the same sense. It's a story about child men fucking around with other people and eventually coming to terms with that, which is usually the bromance arc. And he even uses like improv and lets Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio improv off of each other. But he as well is bringing himself and his humor uh, to the movie through editing, through cinematography, through composition of the actors within the scene. Um, and uh, in that way, we, we see jokes that he's basically mining for jokes outside of just watch, let, let the actors mine for jokes. We're also going to mine for jokes, whether it's costume design of Jonah Jonah Hill's character and pushing it a little bit into the absurd or, or deciding to uh, capture DiCaprio's uh, 
when he takes the what is it quaaludes or what does he take during that uh, quaaludes. yeah and he, yeah. he, he, he overdoses and he's crawling to the car like that's captured in a way that like you could compare to buster keaton and how buster keaton would capture his own uh silent comedy um or if it's the, the way he will use narration or jump cuts within the film music cues as well to punctuate the humor within uh, the sequence. And I think if you, com- it, if you compare, if you think about that movie and think of the bromance movies that led to it, you can see how a, a director bringing their going beyond ca- wanting to capture the comedy and present it well, but wanting to also be part of the comedy, like open up, opens up the material to, to mine it for even more humor. Most usually that kind of filmmaking you would see in, in, in animated movies or silent movies where, where they have to rely on uh, visually capturing uh, comedy. Uh, um, especially like I think of stuff like the Simpsons where they where there's a scene in um, this one of the first times I really became aware of like, Oh, the, the, the film, the director is, thinking comedically was when I was a little kid watching the Simpsons, there's a scene where Homer is going to get fired. And he also has been eating too much food. That's clogged arteries. And the, the a box appears right here and then pulls an X-ray of his heart. So that when the boss is telling him different information of like compliment and then criticism, you can see his heart on the side right here stopping and starting and and that became i became very aware of like oh you can the joke can come from the filmmaking itself and and um anyway i'm rambling on that but i i just wanted to open that up there's other films i want to get to but i want to open that up as a discussion of of how a director can go beyond just capturing the uh the actors improv and humor um can can i ask you a question um, yeah, I'm done. done. I don't want to step on you. I, I, so I, my question is, so you talk Judd Apatow and um, Martin Scorsese. Uh, so between those two, obviously there's a distinct style. Are you saying that Judd Apatow is telling comedy in a more traditional way? Are you saying he's doing it in a more simpler form? Is it because it's shot reverse shot versus Scorsese's taking all his film knowledge and stylistic choices and putting that in the comedy sense. Whereas Judd Apatow started mm-hmm. in comedy, right? And TV. And um, so I just, yeah, to- uh, so I actually been thinking on that a little bit today. I was um, kind of reflecting on some of the movies I want to talk about. And I realized, and to go with that Judd Apatow, I think is a, a person who respects comedy and loves comedy and wants to capture it. And through that, we see in hit. I'm not even talking just Judd Apatow, but Paul Feig and um, uh, most a lot of a lot of common filmmaking of comedy comes from whether even um, uh, Reitman, uh, Ivan Reitman is I love um, I love comedians. I want to capture the comedians and, and I want to like give them the best opportunity to pres- like to bring humor to this this already funny script. Right. Or I worked on the script. It's funny and I want to capture it the best way. And that comes from a respect for comedy. But I, as I was thinking on it more, the, the, when the filmmaker has to be a comedian as well, they have to not just like comedy. They have to have a real knowledge 
of film and film history and film tropes in order to mine those tropes for humor. I'll give you a perfect example. Edgar Wright is uh, one of the filmmakers that I was thinking in terms of he is a director that is a comedian as well within his direction. And he will take the knowledge of, um, say, uh, a sound design of, um, of like shock and that, that like, oh, uh, a melodramatic movie might use a, a punctuation of a big sound design to represent somebody's shock. And he's going to take a moment, say in Scott Pilgrim of like finding, finding out that, uh, um, that he can't do something or isn't allowed to do something. He'll, I think there's a scene where he goes like, <gasps> as that response and like a sound design happens behind him to over punctuate it. Hey, I'm talking to you, Scott Pilgrim. He's famous and he talked to me. Because he understands that like, oh, in film, you use sound to punctuate drama. But if I go a step further with that punctuation, that will, um, that will open up, that will like bring it to a place of melodrama that's hilarious, that, that's humor. So you understand, or, or another person would be Sam Raimi and like very much understanding that like, that hu- that the humor within, that he could find humor within horror language in like Evil Dead 2, right? He understands that gore, that gore pushed an extra step is going to bring humor to the scene. So he'll, um, for example, every time in Evil Dead 2, I think every time blood happens, it's a different color, which is a joke within the movie. You're now ex- like, what color is the blood going to be this time is kind of the joke language that happens with the audience as they're watching at least for me um even army of darkness yeah exactly and then you bring noises to it it's like oh that's a three stooges noise to this piece of violence is now going to add humor to the violence so they have to not just enjoy in order for a filmmaker to really bring that level and why why would a filmmaker want to bring it to that level is it, it it's opening up the humor it's opening up the like we were talking about in the previous podcast, it's opening up that surface to present more ideas in the surface that's inviting to the audience, right? And in it, that, it, and even to go to the first podcast, it's it's using those what I was talking about before of the um, um, ambiguities and playing and and playing with the audience and involving the audience. It's it's involving them even more by making them aware of the tropes of movies, so that they can now bring a punchline to a scene that maybe. Um, that's maybe hinted at in the script, but now when they they can they can make the punchline hit even harder if it's a ju- say a jump cut happens instead of showing a thing. Um, right, I'll say I'll say what you're saying in a yeah. different way. I feel that a lot of modern comedy directors, uh, and I think even John Hamburg falls in this. I love mm-hmm. you, man. Right, um, as well as Judd Apatow and he said in Paul Feig is that the actors do the heavy lifting and they cover it like TV. Mm-hmm. When you have someone like Edgar Wright or even Martin Scorsese or Coen brothers, for example, they are moving the camera. They are doing mm-hmm. the heavy lifting. They are telling visual comedy storytelling orally. They're doing using sound. They're using images. They're using the camera. They're engaging the viewer. They aren't just doing shot reverse shot, as mm-hmm. I said earlier. They're actually having, the, I think those other guys we talked about, Apatone stuff, not saying they're bad, but it's, they're allowing and hoping that you are engaged because of who they cast and the writing, mm-hmm. right? But they're not, they're not 
actually adding visually any more to it. They may do, you know, 40 year old virgin where it's the scene where you're looking down and he's getting the wax, right? His, his chest wax. But other than that, they're never doing. And I think what was great about uh, what started to approach that um, I'm thinking of um, the Jonah Hill movie, uh, um, which I'm blanking on right now where the kids, you know, are um, it's, it's that director who did. David Gordon uh, Green. Hill. Not oh. David Gordon Green, where they're, you know, they're trying to buy beer. Oh, super bad. And they're trying to get laid. Oh, super bad. Super bad. So super bad starts, yeah, which like is Bergen. a great movie. I yeah. love super bad. Um, but that director, I feel like, is like trying to approach that more in a more in a more cinematic mm-hmm. way. Right. Mm-hmm. But still, it's not to the level of Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright is, you know, those shots. I'm thinking at the end of the world when they're at the mm-hmm. bars. Right. And the, and the, the where the camera moves, he shoots it like mm-hmm. a horror movie. Right. And it's this. And of course it is shot and Shaun of the dead. It's this horror mixed with, it's funny you said Sam Raimi, cause I was going to say that too. It's the horror. We don't call that out and out comedy, but they are basically mashing genres together, comedy directors and horror directors. They aren't just, purely doing comedy, yeah. right? So that helps too. And some way that and the way I wanted to kind of open it up even more to go further is I wanted to ask some questions. So like what would you say are like and then we can get into more the nitty-gritty of what they're doing and what that can show us of like oh there's more ways to approach a movie or come to a movie than just dialogue being funny or rep, you know referencing like making fun of each other or whatever. But um like, what would you say is our, like, techniques of humor? I think there's, like, rhythm, there's uh, setups to punchlines, and, and and I think the, the reason I'm... It's timing, it's framing, it's... Well, I mean, you know, outside of funny, film, just, just how, about, how, how, to, how does, what makes right. something funny? Because we make a statement that we pretend is true, but at the end, we say, not... Timing. <laughs> Talk about timing. that first, just to get, and then we can get into like how yeah. is that done in movies. That suit is black, not right. But just to back up, what you said, something is great because it's it's so like a Judd Apatow. It's more of what they say than it's mm-hmm. a visual comedy, right? This suit is black. Okay. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not not. And I almost feel like it's funny because I was thinking about this, about the, like, I think of Jerry Lewis or, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll reference this later, but the, um, uh, what's the movie he did? It was called the, I think it's the bellboy mm-hmm. and how, and Jacques Tati, how they set mm-hmm. up a joke and then pay off the joke. I feel like they're not setting up a joke. Like the whole concept of the movie is a joke that they're trying to set up and pay off. But within that, they're not, it's just, it's scene after scene. It becomes almost not melodramatic, but it's just this happens and this happens mm-hmm. and this happens. There's no really setting up a joke and paying and there's off humor within that. I'm not trying to take that away. I'm trying to I'm trying to talk right. about this to show that there and that's why I brought up the Wolf of Wall Street is like I do think Superbad is going is still trying to be cinematic, but I think the Wolf of Wall Street took it one step further into here's right. other places where there are jokes within a scene. And and so the reason so one of the essence of comedy that I wanted to say is, you know, a lot of people say is uh, tragedy is up close. This is near. Comedy is from a distance, right? <laughs> this is far. So a lot of the things and 
just by that statement alone shows that a like a filmmaker can that that doesn't mean just a director like a cinematographer editor they can do things that pull you like when you're in a scene that pull you out so that you can laugh at it right and and i think edgar wright brought him up earlier is brilliant at that because he will you'll get into a scene and then he'll use uh say a whip pan to something or a um um a sound design that reminds you like of a, of a movie trope that brings you out just enough to laugh at the scene but not enough to um um, take to break the investment. Yeah. yeah. You know what it is too? There's an authenticity to it sometimes. So I look at, uh, sometimes it doesn't, I think, uh, super bad is those guys felt authentic, but even I would say something like Fargo where you're not having mm -hmm. camera moves in the whip pan, the typical, you know, the opposite would be raising Arizona, mm -hmm. but, um, like, but something like Fargo where it's that awkward scene where Francis McDormand's meeting, um, uh, I forgot the character's name, but the, uh, her, her Asian love interest from the past or the mm -hmm. guy who liked her, you know, he's like really lonely. Right. And he wants to sort of, uh, you know, just spend time sitting with her. I think that that is also humorous too, in a mm -hmm. different way than what you're saying. And then, but if we ping on Wolf of wall street, I think of one of the most memorable scenes is Matthew McConaughey. And when he starts telling, giving that speech and he starts hitting mm -hmm. his chest, it feels mm -hmm. so real and so mm -hmm. awkward at the same time because he's doing this. He's important mm -hmm. parting something that feels very authentic, but he's doing it in a public space. And you're like, you can't run away, but you, you feel mm -hmm. awkward just sitting there at the same time. Well, he, and then to go into the, so like I, the filmmaking side of that is that he and found. Thelma Schoonmaker are aware that reaction is a huge part of comedy. So it, they cut to uh, DiCaprio a lot of that uh, perform of that scene as he's reacting of like, what am I going to do with this? Because we, it anchors us to the scene. Um, another, th I, I want to go back way far in his in film history and go to like early 1930s. There's a um, Lubitsch movie. Actually, Billy Wilder tells this story in terms of how do you tell a story in a one plus one equals three kind of thing, right? Or two plus two. With the general's coat. So, yeah, is the belt, right? And uh, yeah. um, he talks about it in terms of storytelling, but I actually think that that's like the essence of- Wait, share, share that story with the audience. That's so great. So he I asks like, yeah. Billy Wilder asks the audience, it's from a movie, I believe it's called The Merry Widow. And um, in it, uh, but- the story is told by Billy Wilder to a bunch of students in a at AFI. And he asks them that he says, if you were to do a scene where a husband catches his, finds out that his wife's cheating on him, how would you do that? And the way Lubitsch does it is the husband go, the husband is leaving. He realizes he forgot his belt. So he goes back into the room where his wife is. What's interesting is he doesn't, we don't go with him. He goes into the room, the door's shut. We stay outside, mm -hmm. right? He comes out with the belt. He goes to put the belt on and it's too small because he's a bigger guy. It only comes to here. And that's when he realizes that his wife is seeing somebody else because who else's belt would this be, right? But on top of that, what's, what I think is also interesting is we don't go in there. We There is a distance there mm -hmm. that happens to make, if we went in and the wife is with him as he's putting it on, we're now too close to the scene. 
right? And we're seeing, we are in the drama of the scene. If his wife is sitting there, he's putting it on and there's a shot reverse shot as they, uh, real, as he realizes there's now like a drama to the scene, but having us stay out, we're waiting. We know what's going on. There's a suspense of like, oh, we know that she's cheating on him because we know, we saw the scene earlier. And then um, he comes out and puts it on, on and, it does, and it happens with him by himself. It now involves the audience in a way that's both distant and involving. And I think that's the trick to directing comedy in a way that is where the director is being a comedian. You are aware that you are right. orchestrating these scenes. You are using, like you were saying, all yeah. the different techniques, but you're you, you're you're orchestrating them to fun, to to keep the audience at a place where they're where they're where they're allowed to laugh. Raising Arizona is a perfect example. Raising right. Arizona, a movie about a, a husband and wife who can't have a child, so they kidnap a child. Right? That is complete drama. That is a, a sad story. Right? But it is told so comedically and by that i mean it is told constantly bringing you into the scene bringing you out using these these tricks we're we're talking about one one that i was kind of scrolling through it and one that really stuck out to me is um there's a character in raising arizona that's kind of a mad max character he's this devil character in later in right, right. in uh falls Randall Craig yeah, Cobb. La later as, in their uh, career, he would be right? yeah, the, the same character would appear and the type, same yeah. type of character would appear in um, No Country for Old Men. But he's terrifying because right. there isn't that. Yeah, there isn't as much of that juggling going on to keep it at a comedy. But in this, they... And they're both are like, are they real or are they the perfect real, place right? where That's the direction the isn't camera true. move. The direction is directing your production designer, right? Which is let... Again, it's the director needs to have a knowledge of film history of what's going on in film. So what's a way to keep it in a, in a state where it's both real and not real. Let's make him feel like he's from road warrior. Right. So it reminds us of road warrior. And, and so it's no longer in a real state. We're allowed to, to have humor in the state because he's in a, he's in a fictional world. Anyway, I'm getting off subject. I, yeah. I would even say even more. So uh, I want to, I let's, talk uh, raising Arizona, but I wanted to jump back on something yeah. else you said first, which is you're talking about Lubitsch. I was going to go one step further and talk about engagement of the audience and old school. Let's talk yeah. classic comedies. And I would talk about, again, I bring it up all the time. Preston Sturges, yeah. one of my favorite directors. And well, I was going to bring that one up. Yeah. Right. That's the opposite of what you're saying, which he thinks his wife is cheating on him. And as he's mm -hmm. conducting, he's, imagining how he's going to discover mm -hmm. and offer and all this stuff. It's, I believe it's Rex it Harrison, is, yeah. right? It's 1948, something like that. And uh, again, we don't know what's real and not real. We're in his head. And I, as opposed to a modern comedy where everything is laid out in front of you, as you said, everything's explained for you mm -hmm. visually, textually, you have to do, the audience has to do some of the heavy lifting. That's mm -hmm. what we've lost. What mm -hmm. I think, part of it, what we're getting to is that your one plus one equals two, maybe it equals three, but we, instead of them doing the math for us, mm -hmm. we're engaged. We have to yeah. do part of the math. It's what we talked at the beginning with cinematic, right? It's the action and reaction. If you're just reacting in a, um, in a way where it's just, 
fed to you, then there's no really reaction to it mm-hmm. in a modern way, right? You're just you're just absorbing everything. It's it's why it's what cinema shouldn't be doing. It's what you know, it's why people are engaged in video games or on YouTube watching people like us talk because there is this little deep dive reaction to it because they're yeah. not getting it yeah. in cinema. Whereas the classic cinema that unfaithfully yours, you're like, wait, is mm-hmm. this a murder mystery? Is this a mm-hmm. drama? But it's a total farce mm-hmm. comedy. And then to Raising Arizona, you get visually, they get for a film that on the surface, again, talking about deep dive for our second episode, on the surface, it feels like just really broad comedy, right? It's like the camera zooms in. They're using the Sam Raimi technique mm-hmm. from Evil Dead, um, where they're putting the camera on that board. And it's the scene where he's on the ladder about to climb in and it goes yeah, yeah. right up the ladder, right? They're doing their version of Roadrunner mm-hmm. cartoon to the point that – uh, hi, McDonough, who is played by Nicolas Cage, his hair mm-hmm. flops like mm-hmm. the Roadrunner, like that. You know, the mm-hmm. Roadrunner goes beep, beep, and it's got that little yeah. floppy thing. Yeah, and that literally has that tattoo. Head. Yeah. He's at, and they they play with that because when yeah. he's got the, you know, he's got the stocking on his head, he's running with the with the diapers, and mm-hmm. then he gets in the guy's car, he goes, son, you got a panty mm-hmm. on your head. Son, you got a panty on your head. You drive fast. Right? You know, mm-hmm. it's that whole floppy thing and he's running. I, all that is that visual. They're pulling from those cartoons, those uh, old Warner Brothers cartoons. Um, and they so understand like the, point, even in the, think- the dialogue, it's it's cinematic in that it's very rhythmically based. It's not just information that's hum- humorous. Like in that in that right. chase scene when he, he's trying to uh, – uh, explain what's going or, or she's comp- I think she's complaining about what's going on. And then he'll go left or right. And it's like interrupting these emotional mm-hmm. moments with like where to turn. And you don't know what it is. And the payoff is he's picking up the pant, the, uh, the diapers. Right. And, and, and it goes, the, the melodic rhythm is like this really sentimental or not sentimental, but this really like, uh, angry, emotional thing. Um, cut off by always saying like, Oh, turn here. Oh, oh, left, left here, honey, left here, honey. And, and, but him trying to explain his emotional state of where he's at. Even when he's getting captured as a prisoner, turn to the right, turn to the right. That's that whole. And I I want to go back to, to go back to unfaithfully yours, because I was going to bring that up as well, is it does this brilliant thing that I think. They're editors. editors. That plays into it. I just want to say, because they're editors, they're looking at it in a graphical sense. Although they didn't edit that one. Not just a. It's not the movie they didn't edit. Uh, oh, it's uh, Trisha Cook. I forget who. I is can't remember Trisha who. Cook? It's like Minor, I think, is the last name. But um, Right. But I think the associate editor is Trisha Cook, I think, on that. But it's great because they're, it's a graphical quality. It's not just yeah. dialogue. It's not just the acting. And, I, and I wanted to – so I wanted to go to, to Unfaithfully Yours because I do think like half of that movie is a comedic version of Fantasia. And I think that's – Part of the brilliance that like we are missing today is that visual. He in the movie imagines he's going to kill his wife three different ways, each of which are to a very classical piece of music. So you have this hot, like high art thing, but he's imagining this low art thing, which is or low life thing, which is I'm going to murder my wife. And it's all to the rhythm and beat. He, he is mining great ideas for comedy because he is seeing like, Oh, a lot of humor, just like any, if you listen to any, uh, speaking of Looney Tunes, if you listen to any Looney Tunes, a lot of the humor is the visual ideas in sync with what's going on musically. 
And there's something, I don't know why, but that is funny to us. We find that funny. And um, he is saying, he is mining the idea of, okay, what if he fantasizes about killing his wife exactly to the beat of this music? And um, there's so much humor in that whole sequence of what the different pieces of music cause him to imagine. Um, and uh, right. It is, it is a rhythm. It's that almost Gödel Escher mm-hmm. Bach thing, right? Where it's uh, the we, there's a subconscious thing where we are in rhythm mm-hmm. with patterns. We like and identify yeah. patterns. And I feel to contrast that with, and I don't mean to crap on Apatow, yeah. or, but you know, a lot of the modern comedy doesn't have a rhythm to it. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel rhythmic. There are cuts and edits, but they aren't in a way that, create this sort of pattern where you feel it even crescendo, like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. unfaithfully yours, right? Yeah. I was going to say there's a, there's a, um, I think we kind of need to contrast with like, we're using all these examples of it doing well. And I do think it, right. there's value in recognizing when it's not being done well. Mm-hmm. And there's a movie that I won't say the name of that I watched recently. And it was, it was just, it was a streaming movie and it was a comedy with, uh, very recognizable comedians and actors and there's a scene where a kind of one of the comedian actors is kind of a magical figure. And when she's presented the entire scene of her being revealed to this character is a, a really powerful, strange, disorienting moment, the way it's written and literally the way it was shot felt like the, the cinematographer or the camera operator was set up in the corner. It was probably kind of a taller camera operator because the camera was slightly above everybody else and literally the (laughs) shot was just a looking down on one character and then it would cut to the reverse shot just looking down on the other there's no indication of power dynamics Mm -hmm. the camera was always looking down on on everybody so it looked like it was just a tall cinematographer in the corner catching performances and you could tell that there wasn't any consideration to where the camera was and how it interacted with the actors because there was the exact same composition, the horizon line was at the exact same level, which had no indication of status or power dynamics between the two of them. So when you cut back and forth, all you got was, well, she's just, you're you're giving them a, a vague proscenium where they're just performing and they have to do all the work. Like that's what I liked about your comment in, in Psycho in the last episode, or no, the first episode where Adam was talking about how psycho because it was framed cinematically, the cop, the police officer didn't have to do anything with his face. The art direction and the framing was enough to convey the power. And if he would have started speaking, it would have taken away from his power. It's so hard doing comedy. So I give props to Apatow. You know, he's a great director. I'm not saying he's a bad director. What we're saying is, there are things that are good and then there are things that are better that we react to in a in a better way and i think sometimes especially now comedy doesn't get its due so everyone assumes it's a shot reverse shot people are just yeah. trying to give information people have i sometimes i feel like some filmmakers have forgotten that there's the art to inferring things mm-hmm. where everyone want is so afraid to confuse anybody they want to be so clear they don't give any, i feel like the audience is not a third person in that filmmaking language it's just the actors the director the audience has to be especially in comedy has to be part of that right mm-hmm. visually and i think the 
the differentiation is, I don't know if it's a, it's, I don't think it's a budgetary thing. I think it just takes time. It's, it's really an aesthetic and a, and visual in terms of who that filmmaker is. You know, I do a lot of, uh, comedy commercials, but I was always inspired by Roy Anderson. And of course you don't have any time. So my thing was, okay, if I am locked into locking the camera, then I'm going to let it play out in the proscenium, but in the most visual cinematic way possible, something's Mm -hmm. happening here in the background, something's happening in the middle ground, something's happening in the foreground. You can do that even when two people are talking. Um, you know, I think of Terry Gilliam and uh, uh, the movie 12 Monkeys. Maybe this is a bad example, but he's having this motion, this moment. And there's a like a little uh, there's a little hamster in a wheel going around in the background. Mm-hmm. It's that visual thing where you're always adding something to the frame to add a little mm-hmm. humor, give it a little lift. Maybe it adds something to the story. And I find that that sort of art seems to have been lost, not only in comedy, but in other films. But I feel like comedy, because we've become a bit lazy in how we present the information, like you were saying, shot, reverse shot, Mm -hmm. and not thinking about the overall contextual piece of it, people just take it for what it is. They go, oh, I get that information. It was, now we, we judge comedies as, oh, that was funny. That wasn't funny. We show all the funny bits, but it's all about the dialogue and what the person's mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. right? What, how mm-hmm. they're acting. It's not yeah. about, there is no visual sense like an Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. like a Coen Brothers. Yeah. I, yeah. One of my favorite early, well, I don't know if it's early, but a, a, an older comedy is a lot of like the early Woody Allen movies. Mm-hmm where I, they're still cinematic right. he's playing them like, like animation. Like yeah. he frames them like an animated yeah, yeah. series of jokes. Yeah. I, I think of uh, what's the early one called um, take the money, money and run. Uh, yeah. take the money and run. Take the money and run. Is yeah. A brilliant yeah. film. He had no money. I think that's one of his first films or yeah. no tiger yeah. Lily. What about tiger Lily is the first one, but take the money and run, you know, it's still, it's a early Woody Allen, not a lot of money, but he's visually telling you, He's using he's setting up the jokes and paying them off he's, visually. Someone like that who had no money, their instinct now would be to do more of the, and I'm not crapping on this movie, but more of a Brothers McMullen mm-hmm. style, right? It's just to basically have you have just people walking and talking or just mm-hmm. shot, reverse shot. They wouldn't, and there's a flair. I mean, all his films have that, which are really great. I mean, I, I was thinking of the list of films um, that he's done, but they all, even the ones that have just people talking, there's always some sort of hint to something going on in the background or mm-hmm. we we move to something. It just feels like it's, it feels like there's a director with a structure and an idea behind what he's doing and what, he's building up. What do you thing. think about, how would you respond to like, for example, someone like Todd Haynes? Like uh, I, I heard him discussing like the way he was setting up the shots for um, uh, this May, December. And Which is a brilliant film. So, and, and he said he was like very committed to a lot of wide lockdown shots that were kind of keeping a distance mm-hmm. from the actors. And he said, what, what, what he wanted to do was avoid the camera interrupting or invading the space of the characters and just let the characters inhabit that space. Um, which I still think is cinematic thinking, yeah. but the, like it is. it is, I don't want to get confused. I don't want what I'm pitching to be confused with like showing up. Like I do get that, like raising Arizona, evil dead Two, uh, even, mm-hmm. even Wolf of wall street have a bit of like the director showing off. I, but 
what we were talking about with with Lubitsch is, is, is you can involve them without where the director is finding the humor outside of just the actors and the script and finding new ways to present it without like taking over the movie. A, a, a great way is like being aware of who your cast is, right? Uh, one of the brilliant things about Raising Arizona that isn't obvious is that Nicolas Cage is much taller than Holly Hunter. And there are moments of, of their height difference and size difference of her like jumping onto him or her as as a in her cop outfit marching while he's next to her and that size difference creates a a bit of humor that isn't calling attention to the director it's it's just the director being aware of who what they have and casting the way they want they need to cast and putting the camera in a way that adds humor to something that is already funny the script should alone be funny right it's that they're they're heightening it by finding places. I wanted to, uh, one of the things in raising Arizona. I didn't. Well, well, can I say yeah. something on that before you jump off? Let me say something about that and answer, try to add, answer Argo's comment too. You know, it's funny when you're saying the camera moves and everything is David Fincher has this quote, you know, there's a million places to put the camera, but only one right way. <laughs> and so I think there's a great, there's a movie, Jerry Lewis, I love mm-hmm. called the Bellboy, and it's the uh, it's I think it's the chair scene, and basically he's a bellboy, he's got a boss. His boss says, you know, he's looking for stuff to do and getting in trouble. He's like, look, I want you to do something. I want you to go over and I want you to set up that auditorium full of chairs. Just go do that. Don't do anything else. Just do that. And he goes does that, and the guy's like, I got hit. Look at it. I got this guy to do this crazy job. You cut to a completely empty auditorium with a stage and the camera is locked and Jerry Lewis he directs this goes all the way, all the way. He walks, 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 walks all the way to the other end of the auditorium. Camera never cuts. You see him there. Door opens. He goes in. Second later, the door opens again. He walks, 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 and he has a chair and he sticks one chair. He goes back in, grabs another chair, grabs another chair. The one cut, we cut back to the guy. He's like, you know, guess what? I, I had him fill that that auditorium full of chairs. You know, come, let's see what's going on. This is going to be so funny. They go into that auditorium. The two guys go in, make fun of Jerry Lewis. And what you see is the most beautiful auditorium with chairs perfectly aligned all in a row, everything. See, I'm, you're laughing. He set up a joke. Yeah. He pays Visually. it off. He does it in a simple visual yeah. way with yep. minimal cuts, minimal camera movement. To your point, that's why I brought up Fargo. You know, minimal, just it's, there is an mm-hmm. art like Roy Anderson, a, a presentational art to doing it. Yeah. And we're not saying the camera has to move or that it has to be this perfectly, you know, choreographed sort of thing going on, but I think there has to be an intention behind it. When you just present information that is a guy walking down and another guy, and then you have this other information of another guy and they're just talking. But if you had that same shot that Argo, you talked about where you shot a guy walking this way, and then you shot another person walking this way, and then you cut to it. And there, maybe they're one's running to a meeting. One's running to the bathroom because he's got to use the bathroom and you cut to a third shot and it was the corner and they just hit right in the center. To me, there was an intention to creating that shot, reverse shot, mm-hmm. that was greater than the parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what you're mm-hmm. saying. 
Well, it's not that, yeah, not that there's something wrong with shot reverse shot. Like it's a vital part of like cinematic language. Um, one thing I think was interesting when you talk about like raising Arizona and, and the language that they were building, there is this uh, interview that I saw with Barry Sonnenfeld, who is the cinematographer for raising Arizona. He was talking about uh, how they shifted from raising Arizona to uh, Miller's crossing. And he said he was so relieved when he found out that Miller's Crossing was the next movie because it was like it was supposed to be a handsome movie, in his words. And he's like, mm -hmm. it's so much easier to do drama because it's, you know, it's, it doesn't have nearly like the dynamic playfulness of camera movements and lenses and things. But the irony is you right. watch Miller's Crossing and it still has that. Mm -hmm. It still has playful cinematic games that the the brothers are are playing with the audience, and I, I, oh, it's I it's Sam Raimi is with the Tommy gun, right? When they're yeah. in the uh, it's in the Irish pub or whatever, and they're like, come out, and they're waving the white flag, and it's like yeah, he's laughing. Yeah, the street shootout like, out where they're like, it shows down. like first the it shows first the pub, and then it cuts to across the street, and it's showing like this army where they pull out the Gatling gun and they're just going like crazy with the Tommy guns, and then they cut wide and reveal they're five feet across from each other. Like it's a hilarious right. scene the way the way they shot. And that's it. a shot reverse shot, you know. That's yeah. pretty. That's yeah, a, exactly. Shot yeah. reverse shot, but it revealed something new every time. So it was like it was. Right. Yeah, I mean, to get it. to the basics of it is, it's set. Even with the bellboy, it's setting up. He, in the bellboy, he's actually using them to represent us. But part of that joke is set up in punchline, right? Like you setting up. Oh, they're far away. And, and then you reveal mm -hmm. the opposite of what you thought was going to be. That creates a sense of humor, right? The same thing with like, um, so you thought they, oh, they would be far away, but no, oh, they're only five feet apart and they're going that crazy, right? Or the same thing with the bellboy. You think you, they're going to go and look at and see him s struggling with the chairs, but they're all perfectly set up. It's it's set up. It's it's knowing that the, uh, to go back to the earliest part of the the, the conversation is, it's using the interplay with the audience and knowing that they know the tropes. So you're setting up, okay, here's how the film language usually goes, but I'm going to, I'm the reveal is going to be the opposite or some other thing than you're even thinking. And that's going to cause you like you to laugh. Right. Even more than, even, even more than the tropes like raising Arizona, um, they are, drawing from literature the snopes brothers that mm -hmm. snopes trilogy mm -hmm. from faulkner right it's mm -hmm. the village the hamlet and i forgot mm -hmm. the other one but there so the snopes brothers mm -hmm. who escape right they escape out of the yeah. ground you know like birth but they're even referencing when they go in the bathroom it's um -E it's uh it's uh william yeah o-p-e and, and p-o-e it's the it's the recall yeah. codes from dr strangelove oh. in the bathroom right with john goodman and uh, mm -hmm. william Forsythe mm -hmm. is the other guy um, yeah, so there, but there, what I love about that, the point is there's inside jokes. If you know the literature, if you know the Faulkner they're pulling from or Flannery O'Connor, you don't have to know it to enjoy it, but it's an extra yeah. layer that they've added to it. And if you know those codes and they're fans of Dr. Strangelove, or if you know the Roadrunner, the cartoons, the Looney Tunes, that's an extra layer on subsequent mm -hmm. viewing as we're talking about. It's not that's part of the cinematic because it works in a subconscious way. We're get reacting to something that is, as you were saying, Argo earlier, it's not just presentational. You're not just getting information. Again, the modern comedy feels like 
feels like, and not all of it, and I'll give you one that I thought was really good, feels like it's just trying to give you information after information after information. Now, there's a modern film that I like. I don't think know if it did well. I don't care. I like it. I had a good time. I'm probably not even the audience for yep. it. It's called Bottoms. And that movie oh, was God. kind of like a little yeah, like a fight club, yeah. uh, you know, a little, there's so much David Fincher reference, but not, it's I didn't fun. like it because of that, but I loved it. It's visually trying to do something. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's, it's setting things up. It's setting, um, your, it's not even, it's set up expectations and it pays it off mm-hmm. in a new way. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, the, it's, uh, it's, uh, is it Marshawn Lynch who plays the, uh, yes, plays the homeroom teacher yeah. or the home ec teacher? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's great in, and he's reading the yeah. divorce magazine or whatever he's reading, and uh, and you know, and they're actually playing with the tropes of you know what is feminism or what is all these cultural kind of touchstones of of mm-hmm. of uh, dialogue that we're having today, um, and they're and they're saying yeah, it could be this, but it could also be this. They're leaving it up to the audience to sort of. Engage. Well, yeah, yeah, another and thing I love about that it. movie in terms of what you're talking about yeah. is. Um, they they set up at the beginning. It, it's very aware that it that it's a coming of age movie, and it very much sets up like, oh, this is going yeah. to be a super bad, based in reality, humor. It's set up that way, but as it goes along, each step it starts playing with your expectations of what a what a um what the world is. Like it becomes more coming and more surreal yeah, as it goes it, on. You go, is. oh my. Like what is he reading? Yeah. Why would he be reading it's that? Your own world. Like, 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 like by the end, it, it hits a, a place of surrealism that there's no way you would guess from the beginning because you would think it would be based in a kind of reality, be a its own uh, adventure within a reality. But one of the kind of jokes within it is that it keeps pushing how far you're willing to accept its realism. And uh, I think that's a really yeah. funny joke that it, it's literally murdering high school students. Yes, exactly. And I love. I love yeah. that it. I love the joke of it going like, "I'm not yeah, going to tell you that at the beginning. I'm, uh, uh, I'm yeah, not going to set right. up. I'm not going to establish that rule. You're going to have to discover it as it's going." And I think that's a really funny joke. You are engaged yeah. as we go on, as the movie goes on. It it forces you to yeah. be engaged. Not that I'm not engaged in, say, a Mean Girls or a mm-hmm. Legally Blonde or something like that. But those, it's again, it's more the characters. It's the it's the presentation. It's the concept of the film mm-hmm. that you're engaged in. I think Legally Blonde is a great film, uh, actually, and it, it kind of play, it plays mm-hmm. with your expectations. Um, I haven't seen the new Mean Girls, but I imagine it's an updated version of the mm-hmm. old Mean Girls, right? Uh, it probably so your expectations are set. There's nothing wrong with that, but your expectations are set. I know what I'm going in for. I'm not going to get anything more. Maybe get something less. That's really what we're saying. Whereas these other films, I'm getting more than what mm. I expected. Bottoms, I went in there. I was very open, and, but I was I got much more. They mm-hmm. swung for the fences. That yeah. director did such another a great movie job this year that came out. Last, another movie that came out last year that I think really was aware of being more than just filming actors being funny, but actually using the tropes that we are aware going in that caught me off guard was Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I really felt yes. like, <laughs> I really felt that it used the, our knowledge of fantasy storytelling to, to find humor within that. And also to find our expectations of like, 
what dragons are or whatever, just the, the basic ideas of fantasy and then play with it while still keeping grounded. And it's a great example of one where it doesn't have to show off filmmaking to use ideas that, uh, in a way that are where the directors and writers are being as funny as the actors are being, if that makes sense. Why do you, I have a question. Why do you think Dungeons and Dragons and bottom to a certain extent didn't get find the audience that you feel it deserved? I do. I will say that like, I do think that when, um, terms of filmmaking or it's well, terms of story I, I think dun- I personally I think Dungeons and Dragons wasn't marketed in a way that um was as good as the movie was I think the the that's just me though I thought the, the I thought the ads weren't as good as the movie what about bottoms I, I haven't heard much about bottoms at all like just in the zeitgeist or in the culture and I was surprised by how funny it was it was so clever and it also seems like this would be a good time for yeah. it um I do think that certain movies like that are raising Arizona wasn't extremely successful when it came out. Uh, right. Yeah. It's confounding for no, the yeah. audience. It's not, it presents people. I think have a certain expectation. Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe it's, maybe there was a storytelling issue. Who knows? I, I enjoyed it. Others did not. But in terms of bottoms, the, as you said, Adam, perfectly, there's an expectation. Like when you see the preview for Mean Girls or whatever, you're expecting something. People didn't get necessarily what they expected and mm-hmm. it kept changing. And I think that is challenging when you're used to being, having certain things presented at you on face value, you start taking mm-hmm. things on face value. So then when something challenges those expectations, we don't like change. We don't like to uh, have to sometimes mm-hmm. work for it when we're going to a movie. And so I think that was something that's a perfect example of a movie that I think on second viewing, it could, it could get, yeah. it will get better. It will become, I hope, I feel mm-hmm. a cult movie, not now, maybe five, 10 years from now, bottoms will be one of those sort of movies that people uh, go to share with their friends. You know, this film, what that film, I don't remember. It came and went, no, you got to check out bottoms. Cause there's some really, I also just think we're in a time when people don't fully trust. I think we're in a time when people don't fully trust comedies. They're not, they're not, they're going to them being let down. So when they see an ad for a comedy, they go, eh, it'll, I'll wait till it comes out on, on uh streaming or whatnot and and i think that they're missing out by being in the audience like when i went and saw bottoms i was in a packed audience that was just losing their minds over the movie they were just laughing throughout the whole movie it made it same here it was the crowd i was in it's a mm-hmm. crowd movie and for a certain age but i think uh, you know i don't fit in that age mm-hmm. coming of age i think it worked for me if you're yeah. open to it, I think I agree with you. If if we were to say today, this or this past time period, last five years has not been a great time for cinema, much like the 80s. That doesn't mean that there are not mm-hmm. gems like the 80s had some amazing. I was going to say there are a lot of amazing movies from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I but you know that was the consensus. Oh, it's not a great. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great period of filmmaking. I there are amazing films in the eighties, just like there's a fam- yeah, amazing yeah. films now. You have you can't be lazy. You have to yeah. seek them out and yeah. find them. And when you find them, you have yeah, to that's share true. them. Yeah. So uh, bottoms was a eleven million dollar budget, and uh, worldwide gross was twelve million, almost thirteen million. The bummer is so it it's an it's the it. type of movie that will, will would grow from like uh, word of mouth, which we're in a time where yeah. it didn't have a time. Which this There's is no what time. This is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and most comedies, they either show the visual gags or the, as everyone knows this, the visual gags or the lines, the best, most of the best lines in it. And I don't think Bottoms did that. It didn't tell mm. you what it was. Yeah. And, and what I, I liked think, about it and, so much. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's what we loved about it. That's what yeah. other people will love about it if you prep them in the right way. Or just go, Again, just go and go with an audience. The, the thing that missing out of everything we're talking about is like that is what's great about watching a movie in which the filmmaker is also a comedian. It's so fun to watch with an audience because of a, a film that's dialogue or actor based, everybody's catching the same jokes, right? Um, uh, with with yes. where you're mining every bit you might sit with an audience and three people laugh at something and now you're going wait what did i miss what was the joke that they caught right and and you go oh it must have been that in your head or whatever and and then that starts to build of like now i want to pay attention subconsciously now you're going like now i want to pay attention more to where a joke can be because i missed that one and and the interplay of the audience starts involving each other in a way where the the awareness of the film starts to grow within the audience. I guarantee you that people seeing bottoms on a DV, like at home on DVD are going to have a totally different response than someone going and seeing it in a packed right. house like we did. Right. Um, um, and I think right. it's because there's those mind things. They might see it as, like you said, seeing it multiple times, but you're going to pick up on stuff you wouldn't have picked up on, at, on DVD by going to an audience because other people are picking up, on what they find funny or the things they're paying attention to that maybe you didn't notice. And I think that's why, why do you make, why should a director do like involve themselves in trying to find humor and not just capture humor is we should be making movies for audiences to, uh, to want to go to and be involved in and not go, oh, I'll wait for that to come to streaming, but to go, no, I want to see that with an audience. Adam, I, Adam, I, I am, I have to say, I'm a little disappointed in huh. you today though. Because you brought up Scorsese and you talked about Wolf of Wall Street yeah. as a comedy, but you didn't bring up my one of my yeah. all-time favorite films. Yes, that is a hours. great movie, and I meant to, but we kept <laughs> jumping around it. And uh, it is a it is a perfect movie to talk about a director being a comedian because he cast a producer as the lead, not a comedian. <laughs> and Griffin Dunn. Yeah, and it's 1985, yes. so it's an 80s film, and it 80s. is absolutely mining comedy through filmmaking whether it's keys being tossed off of a uh, out of a window and which he doesn't yeah. catch and, and, <laughs> he steps yeah, back the, and it letting it feel as though it's a, the keys are attacking you <laughs> not just being thrown out of yes. not just hey i'm gonna shoot this from a wide and watch it drop down to him but like let's there's a joke. What if it feels like the keys are gonna attack that's you know how to mine it is where's the joke oh there's a perfect uh, what if I felt that these keys were going to kill me? Or what if I felt that the taxi drive drive was so scary that it's throwing my money around in the air and I can't even, I can't even catch it. The same money that I see on yeah. the sculpture later on in the paper mache, $20 that I yeah. kind of play with that I'm going to like, Oh, maybe I can pull this and I can't pull it. Um, and then the, the whole thing with the burn, like he's, he's like, I was a child and I couldn't see the burns. And then later she happens to have this ointment that she's mm -hmm. gone to the store and she has burn ointment and a book about burns. And he's like freaked out, especially mm -hmm. after he smokes pot. There's a scene in there too. Talk about visual where he presents this. I thought it was Paul Thomas Anderson had to see this. It's where he's like, maybe we'll smoke pot later. She goes, I'm just going to take a shower. And as, and then the camera just does this dolly for no other reason to go up to Roseanne Arquette 
and she gives a wink. <laughs> she just winks at him. And yeah. you remember that from the and it is a, it's a, such a like a a moment in uh, Boogie Nights yeah. Magnolia shot mm-hmm. that you go, oh, I see. That's that's a moment or or punch drunk love. I feel like that. Oh, did he? Was he inspired by mm-hmm. After Hours for Punch Drunk Love? Yeah, I know. I, well, I think it, '85 is a very specific year that I think was an influence on Punch Drunk Love. Uh, but uh, um, no, that movie. Wait, why is that? '85. <laughs> it's like '80, '84, '85 is like just that mid '80s period has the guy in the suit being th- mm-hmm. uh, being thrown into like a stressful or a, absurd. Uh, situation so you have um yeah it's a third situation it's weird science so it's 85 well i would say so so it's it's after hours it's um something uh something wild uh it's even stop making sense and um blue velvet all of which are these kind of yuppie figures thrown like thrown into an absurd uh an absurd world right and that uh even Luke Besson does it in Subway, where you know it's the guy who's the who blows up safes, runs mm-hmm. into the subway and finds all these denizens. Which I love that it's yeah. a goofy French Even film. Pee Wee's Big Adventure I, follows I in that same in that same idea. Yes. It's just a it's a very specific to the few years time where the zeitgeist thing happened. Fish out of water story. Witness yeah. comes out that year, so it's fish out of water. You know, a uh, rustler's yes. rhapsody <laughs> is a eighty-five but, movie. But, yeah, this is very specific. Um, and I feel that I don't know if it's on purpose, but Punch Drunk Love is very much like could you could take Punch Drunk Love and just put it in that year, and it would feel like it was oh yeah, that's the year. It would. You know what else is in that year with After Hours, which is really interesting. I brought this up last time. Is uh, John Landis' yes. Into Another, the Night? Well, that's a great double feature. We you, you, perfect double feature. And it feels like it's those. I would. I would also say that Repo Man could almost be pulled out of its year, which I think was eighty three, eighty four, into eighty five. Yeah, because it feels like that. It's those what we almost call that isn't, but the the movies that take place yeah. in the night. Right. It well, those movies like feel yeah. as much like new wave music as new wave music does. You could play those with new wave yes. just playing over it and you go, oh, yeah, this is the same thing. It's just they're in the same zeitgeist. You know, it really it really is a shame that the 80s didn't have any good movies. Yeah. <laughs> but those comedies, comedies work because they're so much, especially Blue Velvet, those comedies work because we're talking about comedies. Another thing is mm-hmm. tone. There's a tone when some of the films, modern comedies we're talking about, like, I, I, I think what's great, what looks fun about Mean Girls or about Bottoms that I like is it creates a tone. It's really good about tone. I feel Blue Velvet is great about tone. A lot of these comedies have a tone. There's a tone with After mm-hmm. Hours, like you said. It's something he's feeling attacked, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. He's almost he runs out into the rain after that. Like he's running for his life. It's there's like horror elements mixed with it. But, but, but if he but was, really if he was say, say it was today and they were, they go, Oh, you know, he'll wear a t-shirt and jeans, just be the youth of today or whatever. And he's in a, he's in a stressful situation. Right. That's not the same as a guy in a suit. Even if he works at that same place, if right. you go, Oh, he's going on a date. So he'll probably just wear a t-shirt and or a button up shirt and go on a date. No, a guy in a suit, in a punk rock where they're shaving heads scene that happens in that movie is so much more, there's so much more humor in that than just a guy in a shirt, uh, figuring it out. It's, it's the details that I'm talking about in the direction of being aware of like, what is, 
like you were saying, yes, these directors are good, but there's great. Like, what's the step you go further to what can I add to this script to make it just slightly better? And if it's a, I I have a theory about after after hours, hours. actually a, a, a metaphor or uh Scorsese talking about the Jewish identity in the Weimar Republic. Because <laughs> when you when you look at it, it's, it's, it's about a Jewish man that's that. going through this okay. weird, bizarre, hipster, uh, the labyrinth that is slowly becoming, like he, he literally gets thrown into a visual concentration camp with spotlights oh and Nazis all around him. And he's wow, just that's, doing that's, everything that's, he could to avoid the crowd that is slowly beginning to prey on him. <laughs> And he's and get out. How do I get out? It's like a nightmare of trying to escape the Nazis. It's it's Kafka, you know, to a certain level. There's a Kafka-esque thing. The guy's behind the desk. He wants to have a family. He because or he wants to have a relationship because the opening is you know he's training Bronson Pinchot, but he's looking at everyone has a ring or there's a picture of someone in their life, and you go from as Adam was saying, it's not only just a jacket. He's mm-hmm. got a tie and it's buttoned up. Uh, Linda Fioratino says, you want, uh, I see, you, me- you know, do some paper mache, start in the art, start getting messy. Right. Mm-hmm. And he does. And she's like, you got something on your shirt. Take off the shirt. Nah, I'm good. No, it's only 20 minutes and I'll clean the shirt. And then it goes from taking off the shirt. Now it's unbuttoned. It's a black shirt from a kind of white shirt and the tie's gone. Now it's a black slip in the, in the jacket to then massage me. And then he takes, she takes off her bra. And so it's this, unveiling unwrapping of clothing and everything it's going from the Mm -hmm. tightness confines of everything to then a more he has to lose his he has to lose everything to find himself right he has to he has to take this journey and almost and and just take it easy it's going from that kind of Mm yuppie-fied thing i think of the 80s of that person who's working that job to then uh, and being successful and it's all about success and money to like just it's a free flow, mm-hmm. right? He just has to enjoy life. Yeah, yeah. But he refuses to do it. Smoke pot. <laughs> it, no, it, does he run out of that apartment because he smoked the pot and it made him paranoid? Or is it that the pot has enhanced his fear, that whole burn thing <laughs> in his head that's going on when he mm-hmm. runs out, you know, when he runs out of her apartment? What do you think, Adam? Uh, I don't know. I, um, I mean, I always feel that his his character is not an every. Everybody talks about it when you talk about the movie. It's like, oh, this every man, and it's like, no, he's a, kind of a terrible person. No, he's specific. He, he is. He judges yeah. everyone. Yes. I mean, he's supposed to represent the yuppie thing because it's funnier to not be in there. To go back to the like, t-shirts and stuff, it's funnier that he's not an everyman. It's funnier that he's the opposite of the world that he's going into. And because he's the opposite, he's going to judge and be afraid of everything, including scars. Oh, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not the dream. I got to, I got to get away from it. And I think that's what makes. He's not a nice guy. I came for the paper mache. I came for the paperweight. Where's the paperweight? You know, as soon as he starts smoking pot, his true self Mm -hmm. really comes out. And then he becomes the paperweight in the end. Uh, Let's uh, let's, uh, land this plane a little bit. Say I'm a young new director and I I really want to bring the cinematic quality to a comedy. What's your best recommendation? What's your advice? Besides watch films? I do I would <laughs> say that is film. super important. I would to, just to go with Ramesh just as, and to say what I was saying earlier, in order to really mine the jokes, you have to under go to a lot of movies, go to movies with audiences, be aware of how people react to things because it's 
It's the same thing if, if you want to be a stand-up comedian. You can't just, like, write jokes. You have to go see stand-up comedy. You have to be around and see what people yeah, find right. funny. And it's impo- I, think it's, I think it is impossible to find jokes if you don't know what the, what the normal film experience within certain genres are. There is no way Edgar Wright could, could make Shaun of the Dead if he had not gone to uh, and seen a shit ton of zombie movies and a shit ton of comedies and been able to see oh this is this this thing that didn't work in this movie it's actually funny and i can use that thing and push it a step further and and understand the um the 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 idea of of humor is is in extremes is in like um like we were saying that with after hours the the guy in the suit in a, in a stressful situation is much scarier than a guy who's similar to all these guys in a stressful situation. You're talking contrast, about contrast. Contrast, contrast is important, but see movies and David understand the frame. Contrast. You know, I was going to say like w- one way that you could make a person show that a person is uh, submissive to another person is that person just acting submissive. Another way would be if that the person he's being submissive to dr- drops some like it uh, has a drink but then it drops and then the hand just comes in out of frame of the other person the other person's hand comes in out of frame mm-hmm. and, and gives it to him to drink right like the idea of it coming in you know, from frame and what? the arm being an object right. not a person it creates the sense of humor so you're talking huh? technique right and you're talking technique and i think overall though it's the problem, a little bit of problem with comedy today, if we're contrasting, is the the moralizing mm. of it, right? Mm. Everyone is there to, and uh, I want to just do this before we wrap it up, talk about assholes in comedy. There's nothing better than a character who's an asshole mm-hmm. in a comedy. And the old argument of Bill Murray versus Chevy Chase. Mm. And I think of these great movies, Foul Play, right? Fletch. Um, I'm trying to think what are those other movies, um, uh, modern problems, mm-hmm. um, you know, where he, and, and he's like taking his revenge out on people and that, and we've, we've heard this conversation before. I think Tarantino's mentioned or whatever, where the character in like Bill Murray movies has to go from being an asshole to being a nice guy at the end. He's learned the errors of his ways. Whereas Chevy Chase, which is the movies I always enjoyed more is he's still kind of a jerk even at the end. Right. He's just, he's just maybe approaching in a different way. It's all your point of view. And I think today comedies, we're afraid of people just being assholes because they're assholes. I think of, um, I, I think of it's great in After Hours, Bronson Pinchow, he's training him and he's like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, that's great. You're training me, but I'm really not, I'm not going to, I don't plan on staying here that long. I'm I have a book writer. I want to do, yeah. you know, they all have an agenda, but even yeah. he has an agenda. You know, what's great is Griffin Thun is not a really a nice guy at the beginning either. And I think it's through as the Coen brothers or Sam Raimi once said, you know, the, um, uh, the, the innocent must pay, the guilty mm-hmm. must die, right? There's a there's a transformation that happens. And I think if you start people, especially the way it is now up here, if they're already the CEO or great, even in comedies, if they're already the, they ha- they're so good, you know, it's a it's what we used to call the hooker with the heart of gold. If they're already good, then you know, about the end, the transformation isn't as mm-hmm. great, right? Mm-hmm. But there doesn't, in comedy have to be a transformation. They everyone can stay where they were. I don't think that has to be the goal of it. Mm-hmm. I think you want to, you can go on a journey and someone is still a jerk by the end of it. But we have a different 
uh, perception of them or a different point of view. Um, so I just wanted to say that before we yeah. wrapped about comedy, that it's not just it's there's a there's almost a philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, doing I didn't realize how hard it was to make a comedy until I started doing comedy mm-hmm. commercials. You know, you know, the secret of comedy, right? Mm hmm. Timing. Timing. <laughs> right. So that, and so when you're doing comedy, commercials, whatever, film, you know, it's those little moves. It's the little nuance. Oh, did you go up on this word or mm-hmm. did you go down on this word? Mm-hmm. Did you say, do you emphasize this word as you were saying, which uh, Adam is like, do you emphasize this second to the last word mm-hmm. or the last word? Right. It's all about it, but it's, it takes time. It's those little things. It's not just throwing out jokes. But I think getting good at comedy is about the nuance, the timing, the subtext, the little moments mm-hmm. that you're capturing mm-hmm. in there. And it's it's not just the big visual moments. It's the small moments. It's the little character moments. It's the keys. Do the keys – does the person just throw out the keys out the windows in after hours? No. They shoot it where the keys are coming towards the camera. Then they shoot looking down, and, it's, and what they play on is not the keys falling on him like it hit him. They're like he stepped back. Like mm-hmm. he's too afraid to take a chance mm-hmm. and grab it and capture those keys. He lets them mm-hmm. fall on the ground yeah. and he go and he looks back up and the woman's disappeared. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Who's who was, who dropped it, uh, Linda Fiorentino. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, those are some of the things I think that you have to consider when you're doing comedy, you yeah. have to do it. I will, you have to I will stand say up. this. I would, uh, a director should act. A comedian should do. Uh, who's going to write should stand. And I say in, involve your audience. Yeah. Involve them. Don't just tell. Let the characters tell them jokes. Involve the involve the audience in the joke. Let them be part. If they, if you're saying what what would I tell someone that's wanting to make a comedy is, you know, involve the audience in the film filmmaking. Set up things that they're going to assume the punchline and give them a different punchline. Get them to wonder what's going on behind the doors that the person's in involve them in the joke. It's all, it, whether it's doing stand-up comedy or and, watching a movie, like that's always the best right. is like get the audience involved in the, in the process of the story. And I think authenticity, not that it has to be an authentic story, but authenticity in terms of the performance, where you're coming from in telling that, Raising Arizona, you brought up, I, and I don't know if this influenced them, but you know, Francis McDormand and Joel Cohen were, uh, adopted a child, right? They Mm. couldn't have their own children. They adopted one. What is Raising Arizona about? Yeah. Right. So there's something about, uh, there's something that's coming from an authentic place. Mm -hmm. The story that they want to tell doesn't mean it has to be a documentary has to be, but there is, you are in a way in comedy, mm-hmm. mining truth, those things that embarrass us, those things that are awkward, that, um, that we don't want to reveal. Those are the well, things I you think, want honestly, to reveal. Honestly, I think in And I think every, that is sometimes the best place to start telling comedy is from a place of truth. In and every movie we've talked about, the, the dramatic question is always dramatic. It is a drama and it's uh, in, right. in yeah. the, underneath the surface. It's a drama in all of them that we mentioned bottoms after hours, raising Arizona, um, um, uh, unfaithfully yours. They're all, when you get down to what it's really about, it's like, this is pretty serious. What it's really about. It's about building a text around it that in which the surface going back to the last episode is the surface is very fun and pleasurable and enjoyable. And it makes you laugh at something that if you really were to get into it is like, Oh, that's really sad actually. You know? Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Can I say one last thing to wrap it up before mm-hmm. wrapping it up? Yeah. If you, I just want to say this. If, if Adam shaves, he looks like Griffith Dunn. <laughs> he looks, he looks totally like Griffith Dunn. And if I shave, I look like Bronson Pinchow. So that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> so you're saying we record. should do a remake of it, of uh, uh, After Hours. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I do want to say something specifically for people that want that are uh, learning the cinematic language and starting to study um, filmmaking in particular. Um, my first year at CalArts, we were not allowed to make, we weren't allowed to use any dialogue in any film that we did. Mm. And just taking away the idea of no audio, no dialogue, we were learning animation, but it forced us to think cinematically and tell stories in pictures and it's that that idea of just thinking in pictures that forces you to think like okay how am i going to tell a knock knock joke without any dialogue at all and that that just by putting that restraint on yourself and i would recommend this for screenwriters too how do you set up a scene so that there is no dialogue at all and if you take away the dialogue all of a sudden you're going to start developing other muscles that are visual techniques, then you're really going to pay attention to films just by limiting that dialogue. Mm. So I I would strongly recommend that if you go through a phase or maybe just try it on a project, don't allow anyone to say a single word, but you still have to make it funny. You still have to make it clever and play and then use these visual tropes. And of course, always watch movies, read scripts, read books. Definitely. And I love that recommendation. Watch movies with an audience changes the exact the entire experience. Cool. Especially think, comedies, which is a shared experience. Yeah. Right? As we talked about the shared experience. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. Cool. Any other things you guys wanna you wanna bring up? Uh, I'm gonna go uh, look and buy a paperweight, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Paper mache one. Right. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. That was a really interesting uh, discussion. I love the idea of the director as comedian, because we always think of the actor as the star, but in many cases, I didn't even bring up the captain kangaroo episode. Remember I told you there's a famous captain kangaroo episode no, it's where the guy. Okay. So that's a great visual comedy where you don't have any dialogue. The guy's in the desert. He's dying of thirst. There's he's met by it in the way he sees something in the distance and a guy comes up with a cart. Is it water? Is it ice cream? No, he's selling ties. <laughs> and he's and it's all told non-verbally he doesn't want ties get out of here leave me alone the guy keeps crawling the desert he's in rags you know he's unshaven he's dying of thirst he gets and he finds in the oasis there's a restaurant in the distance and he gets to the restaurant to the and there's a and then he goes you know he wants water he wants water he sees water on the table a pitcher of water and a glass and there's a sign at the front and the maitre d won't let him in and it says the sign says no time no, no service, service. And there's a joke, you set it up, you pay it off. Yeah. It's so simple. Captain Kangaroo. That's great. All right. And that's the final word. That is our episode for this week. Uh, uh, anything else you want to plug or share? Oh, uh, I'm on Instagram at Bon Iyer, B-O-N-I-Y-E-R. Cool. And you can follow me at um, at cinematicore.com. And we'll, we'll put all the links underneath uh, so you can you just click on it and, and follow uh, the links. Well, uh, be sure and put your uh, your comments and thoughts uh, underneath. I want I want to hear what you guys think about what what does what makes a director comedic. And have a great week. 
we even answer that question? I wonder. It's, no, no, right. no. Right. Is this okay. over? Okay. I, I that's, why I, that's why I'm throwing out lines. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. That's why I was throwing out lines so you could use <laughs> it or not use it. Probably doesn't land. No, I like the grid. I was going to say, yeah, I said, yeah, if Adam shaves, there's your Griffith done. And I'm your, I'm your Bronson <laughs> Redoing it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let, me, let me do it one more time. Let me do it one more time. Oh. Yeah, exactly. One more time. Go for it. Yeah, Adam, you didn't the first time. You didn't laugh. I don't see Adam, it. I don't. I don't think you look like Griffin. No, like, no, it's a joke. It's because you know, we're talking. I will about say, it. Are, is this over? So I can hair. throw something in. I feel like this conversation is going to keep going, so I don't want to stop the recording. No, no, you can stop. I'm, I'm so out of it. I feel like I just rambled through everything. No, you didn't. That was good stuff. No, you were really good. And I, for once, I actually let you speak. <laughs> but you were jumping to the movies. I literally never got to the thing I was going to say. I kept going. The whole reason I was bringing up it, Raising Arizona was this shot that I saw that I was like, oh, you can, a, a person would probably capture this wrong. Yeah, but you didn't say that. But you were jumping to new movies and I was like, oh, I want to talk about that last Wait, what's movie. Your point? And, what's your point about that? With the Raising so Arizona? I kept wanting to get to like, yeah, uh, there's a shot where the um, the guy because I started to describe the guy on the motorcycle and then it kind of went off and I didn't get to the thing. But he's chasing um, them and he goes into the bank, right? And he drives through the audience that have been laying down on the bank. Remember that scene? Hmm. They're all laying down. Yeah. He drives through and they roll out of the way. Right. And I think just describing that is like, oh, that's not that's humorous, but not funny. But the angle he puts it at is where the motorcycle is here. The motorcycle's like wheel is on the entirety of the frame. So here, and then you're just seeing people jump this way and that way out of the way as it's going through, which is my, that is a joke yeah. that describing it isn't funny, but putting the cam camera in the right spot suddenly makes it funny. It suddenly comes alive. The idea is, Oh, that's pretty funny. But putting it there, you, you start laughing because you're seeing the extremes of like, the just the the movement of the extremes of the people is now oh now that's really funny you know what i mean does that make sense the whole yeah. movie is about where you put yeah. the camera because it's and they play with it actually low all the time i'm thinking of it where he's under the cribs and the babies yeah. are crawling and that whole that is probably the best the sequence movie, that sequence is that is a oh man that's another that thing movie. i was going to bring up about there's a lot about raising arizona i was going to bring up he goes on the this is a perfect example of of a director going I'm also the, the, the comedian is the Nathan Arizona's on the phone and he goes, it's, I think he's on the phone or he's just looking at his watch and he goes, it's, and then the, at the bottom of the screen, it says 8.45 PM. He goes, it's 8.45 PM. And it, and it, and it pops up. And that's like, they took the trope that we know of like letting the audience know where you're at. And they go, they go, they go too obvious, which is what, that's bad in a drama, right. but that's great in a comedy. Going too obvious is all is always funny right. because it's because th there's a joke there that wouldn't have been there without that. The other thing that's in that same scene that's uh, to go with what we were saying earlier is like the babies are treated like monsters in that scene as they're dropping on him and crawling oh around them. And we know that right. because we've seen monster movies. So it's bringing the knowledge of other movies into the movie and you're having it you're playing a game with the film because the director's playing the game with you he is saying like hey remember like this feels like that am i right guys that's basically what he's saying right uh 
You know what they're also playing on is even their own film, Blood Simple, the first one had the voiceover, right? Well, I don't know about Russia, but what I know about is Texas and here you're on your own. Then they play this movie all is like that whole mm-hmm. prologue mm-hmm. of it, right? Of, of the movie before it even, before mm-hmm. the movie even begins, there's this whole prologue. And then they have the voiceover mm-hmm. at the end, right? Well, I looked mm-hmm. way into the future and my son, you know, playing football and maybe all this. Utah. And yeah, maybe no. it's just Utah. <laughs> it's great. There's jokes within jokes. Well, if you, meaning, you know, if you know the subject. You're coming at it that way. That's what's kind of disappointing with modern movies is that they're i guarantee you you could take something like um i don't know any just basic you you could take something with a really fun movie that i enjoy which is the uh i love you man right the Mm -hmm. jason siegel paul rudd they're already fun yeah john Uh, hamburg film uh, they're already funny. The direction captures it in a, a great way. It's a fun movie. You can just enjoy it. But I guarantee you, you can you right. could spend time. I don't. I couldn't do it now because I'm not spending time with it. It takes a lot when you're when you're saying when you're asking like, what advice would you give to what what advice you would you give to young you filmmakers? Is take time with the material. Look through line by line and go. How can I make this even funnier? Take don't just accept it as is. Like, take it, like, you could take Raising Arizona and just shoot it like a, like a modern comedy. You absolutely could. You could make a a fun but mediocre comedy and just shoot the actors in a stressful situation talking about what are we going to do about all this and blah, 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 blah. But they took their time. They storyboarded every scene and went, how can I make this a little bit funnier? And that's what I'm meaning with that with that motorcycle. Yeah, so thing. finish like your they went, thought. They took on, something that was it. funny, which is driving through right. the audience, the the crowd that was already on the floor, right. and like, oh, that's pretty funny. But they went work, work in the camera view. But you're saying something that's already good. You, but see, you're saying something that's already good. I think the Argos point finish the thought on "I love you, man" because I was bringing that up as an example of I enjoyed "I love you, man," but it's again, you you were saying it, but I think to be really clear. It's a funny situation. It's a funny setup. It's yeah. funny characters. Mm-hmm. There's contrast between them. What are the things that they could do better? Well, right? There, the scene we where they're the, script. the scene yeah. where they're hanging what, what out. What they could do to do it better? It could be bosom, like you could go. You could go into bosom buddies yeah. territory, right? You could play it like a fun sitcom moment where they're bromancing together. That's never done in a sitcom way. Or you way. could bring you the could, language of a literal sitcom. romance into the bromance, right? You take the knowledge that the audience already right. has with what romantic comedies are like, and you start bringing that into the right. into the idea of of their relationship, not just in the dialogue. But in the score, in the editing, in the in the cross cutting of how romantic comedies build to these shot reverse shot, you use that. I would say it's a. There could be a two shot of them getting Uh Sundays. One's getting a strawberry shake. One's getting Mm -hmm. a vanilla shake, and they're like, "No, try Mm -hmm. my vanilla. Try my strawberry." It's all Mm -hmm. the meat cute stuff Mm -hmm. that you all have. You know, share. Take a piece of my pie. You know, I have pumpkin. You have blueberry. Those whatever that is. After hours, you you could could go to the walking on the beach. Throwing stones. Suits constantly at the beginning. Right. Then with Jason Segel being the kind of yeah. schlubby, and then as the show goes, as the movie goes on, he's dressing more and more schlubby. Like he more gets more, more style. You know what I mean? Like you can think <laughs> about, you can mine right. it in so many different ways. Right. You could, um, 
Right, right, right. Paul Rudd could have bought yeah. him a suit. And then you could, could be in a scene where Paul Rudd is showing him a suit that he's getting fitted yeah. over and his T-shirt. Like, I like it. You, like Because that's what relationships do. They take the other person yeah. out to get dressed. They take them out to get food. They go to have an experience in a movie together. And maybe they're sitting together in a movie laughing. But the movie is a, is like a movie. Yes, that exactly. Perfect. That, yeah, yeah, not yeah, a movie yeah. you take exactly. your that's the per- Yeah, yeah. Uh, a perfect place to mine it is that's what they're watching. You can also have as a joke, start building up without the audience knowing that they're being built in a joke to go back to the costume. He's starting to dress more and more like him, but maybe the audience isn't noticing it. And then you make a, a decision in casting his wife so that she's always proper so that as we're with him, now he's invited with her to go to like a, a, a dinner date with another couple. And he shows up, they're all wearing nice clothes at a really nice restaurant. And now Paul Rudd shows up in like a hoodie and sweats to go to this nice date. There's right. a, he's, he's, right there. there's a transfer of there's a transfer yeah. of character. And we're not saying no. these films are bad, but we're just saying they could be mine to be so much better there's an opportunity mm-hmm. there missed opportunities with those comedies that make them memorable not just the joke of the concept i think they a lot of movies today it's just about a concept it's mm-hmm. all about a concept not within the concept so, i think there's like 20 movies in raising arizona within raising arizona itself mm-hmm. there's like 20 other movies there that you. one thing that keeps coming on. up is you, uh, we've we've all mentioned the, the idea that like movies are different now like, hasn't it always been the case that like 80% of anything is shit? Yeah, so, I'm like, not, I'm not you know, trying most to say now have... versus then. And that's why I was actually going to bring up when you were talking about the date right. that like, actually the Coen brothers do what we're talking about exactly. And it's a, a, a relatively modern movie. It came out the same around the 80. same time as I love you, man. And that's um, burn after reading. And they're, they, you know, they go on a, they, mm-hmm. they go on a date to the, to the, uh, to the romantic comedy. That's what it made me think of. But what's, humorous about that movie in my opinion is it uses the language of an espionage movie throughout all of that movie without it actually being about espionage it's just about infidelity that's all that it's about yeah you know it's got the typed out you know washington dc washington dc whatever at the bottom of the screen even though it's got the whole Mm -hmm. from the earth Goes down to the Pentagon. The whole thing it's in the not middle about of time. Yeah. You can right? go in the eighties and yeah. you can pick out Chevy Chase movies or or right. uh, um, Bill Murray movies where you know they're filming them and it's great and it's funny. You know whether it's uh, um, Meatballs or um, or uh, Spies Like Us or any of that stuff where it's like oh yeah they captured that they captured them being funny and that's the eighties. But there's also After Hours, which is came out at the same time and they just they took an idea. And they went, what more can we add to it than just capturing the humor? What more can I bring to it? My favorite, one of my favorite comedies, 1981, mm-hmm. Used Cars. Robert Zemeckis is a brilliant right? comedian. He's very visual. There's, there, there's an amazing thing where he comes out the stairs, it's uh, Kurt Russell, and it's just this long mm-hmm. tracking shot. And I think it's in the commentary where he said, why are you doing this long? You know, most people would just have mm-hmm. him walk out and shoot it, but he he's adding some cinematic mm-hmm. elements to it or where he's capturing the used cars and like he's the used car salesman there's a there's an irish couple and he speaks with the irish accent there's a there's a um a, mm-hmm. a black couple and he's trying to speak as if he's from the city or something and then there's there's another couple i don't know if it's polish or something and he's but he's like transforming himself to yeah. sell the car and the guy 
is a scoundrel to begin with. Not only is he a scoundrel, Kurt Russell, he's also wanting to run for uh, mm-hmm. for public office, as, which is know, great. Similarly, as I Want to um, Hold Your Hand, another <laughs> movie by his that I think is brilliantly comedic as a director. Yeah. There's there's a scene where she is where she's at the Beatles. Uh, Nancy Allen is at the Beatles con- uh, concert. She's she's made it to the concert. They're all trying to sneak. The story is a bunch of teens are trying to sneak into the Ed Sullivan show of the Beatles concert, and she's there. Nancy Allen's there. She's a pr- she's kind of prudish. She's saving herself for marriage. And she's in the audience, and as they're playing, she has it causes her to have an orgasm in the middle of the show. And the way it's cut in between the 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 screaming girl and her having the prudish girl having an orgasm, you're not only is it funny to me, not only am I laughing at what's going on, but I'm understanding why the Beatles were so important to teenagers at the time that it like got them to understand the world was bigger than they are. It makes multiple comments all at once, which is great filmmaking, but. Um, he's a great visual comedian. I think even in like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and and uh, the, the opening of yeah. the opening of well, um, I was gonna say the Stone, Kirk. where it's, uh, it's it's using yeah. those uh, the language of like Indiana Jones and and also Danielle still style. But he makes yeah. it his own. He doesn't. It, it, it's the I feel like Indiana Jones was just enough to get it greenlit. And and get it marketed, but it's nothing with Indiana Jones other than a little yeah. nod to the character. But everything else is about her adventure, and they've stolen this idea. I mean, even the new um, the new uh, Argyle is yeah, you know yeah. it's a, someone that's, who that's writes a book, fun. right, and then goes yeah. on the adventure. And the one before that with um, with uh, I, I'm blanking from Speed. It's uh, uh, Sandra, Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Yeah, uh, and, think, and and with the Sand- yeah, where she's that's also a perfect one to compare two things. So the Sandra Bullock has. has a similar concept but in robert zemeckis he does this thing where the opening she's writing she's writing the story and it's filmed in that romantic adventure story that she's writing it's film it's it's starring these right right it's a western and it's starring like very attractive people and she's he's used the costume design and the makeup design to have her hair up and not combed and all that stuff. But as the story goes on, just little bits of things that happen to her, she she slowly becomes one of the characters more beautiful that she writes. She's not just yeah. in an adventure. Yes. She is visually like starting to look like one of the characters she's described at the beginning of the movie, which is uh, a, a really fu- funny, you know, subtle joke throughout the movie that doesn't happen in the Sandra Bullock one. It's just here's the concept and it's funny which is funny because it happens in miscongeniality it happens in miscongeniality right Mm -hmm. so you would have thought Sandra Bullock from miscongeniality would say wait 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 but it isn't just that's the deconstructing part of it Kathleen Turner's becoming pretty that's not what it is it's that she's becoming one of she's visual the joke is she's the metaphor just like her novels and he's he's punctuating the joke by having her Slowly, oh, this ripped. Oh, my hair's down, and it's slow. Slowly, she's starting to look exactly like one of the people she would write about, which is a funny, you know, uh, I, you know, um, harmony of. Well, it's also humor. pulling the trope from the forties, right? And it's pulling from those tropes, those adventure movies of the forties, with the damsel who is the nightclub singer or something, or who is from a more uh, manicured world, and then you have the adventurer who's not, and they come together, and she also gets tough. I think of Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and Temple of Doom is a mm-hmm. perfect example of that. Yeah, 
right? Yeah. Um, and she goes on the adventure and then she becomes just as tough as he does is what we're talking about. But I think, again, in these visual comedies, I think of Death oh, Becomes yeah, yeah. Her is another mm. great one. Yeah. You know, because also these films, they're making, co- they're like meta movies before meta movies were a thing. Yeah. They're well, that's what I keep saying is, you know, that's why my advice is that watch more movies. movies is that so much of a director bringing humor to a movie is n- the director's knowledge of what you know about movies. Uh, I was, I remember going to um, um, American Werewolf in London and uh, uh, at New Beverly and John Landis just happened to sit right next to me and my friend and uh, Mike. And uh, we started talking to him and he, and I I was like, Oh, you're going to love this audience. It's very lively. And he was saying, Oh, I used to love to just go to, movies when I was younger and just watch the audience. I wouldn't watch the movie. I would have already have seen the movie and I just like to go and watch the audience. And I think that's such a good, like that is something that especially a comedy director like him needs to do is be aware of what are the tropes that are happening in the movies? How does it cause the audience to know that? What does the collective audience know about? Like what, what, because humor is so much anti- like expectation and then pulling the rug under expectation, you need to know what the audience is expecting. And in order to do that, you need to know what genres are and what movies are and what those genres do. And that's why it's, I think why, why is it, why do we see so little of it? And why is it, it's not a, Oh, they, they used to be good and they're bad now. It's not that at all. It's, we just don't see a lot of it. And the reason why is it's probably the hardest thing of all the filmmaking genres to do is to pull off a comedy in which the film the director themselves is a filmmaker because it requires you to do a lot of research research is a boring word but to know a lot about movies right and to also know about how they affect the audience Mm -hmm. and then to sit with the script and go over every line and figure out how can where is the humor in this there's there's a lot of work that goes into what seems easy do you know the irony Mm. of all of this is silent film, mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, you know, uh, uh, Howard Harold Lloyd. Uh, am I saying it? Yeah. Harold Lloyd. Thank you. Harold <laughs> Lloyd. Let me say that again. The irony of all of this is Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd. Wait, 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 wait. We're talking. Harold Lloyd or Buster? <laughs> wait, Buster who? <laughs> Sorry, do that again. I messed you up. <laughs> do it again. The irony in all of this is when cinema started, silent silent film, right, is Buster Keaton, Harold Harold Lloyd, Lloyd? you know, Charlie Howard Howard Lloyd. I'm I'm sorry, keep Harold Lloyd. Howard Lloyd? What? Or Harold Lloyd? Harold. Harold. Do I not say it? Do I not enunciate? I heard heard Harold. Okay, start over. I'm sorry. Start from the scratch. (laughs) No, I'm not going to (laughs) start. No. One more, one more, one more. That's the irony of Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) He just turned his camera off. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think any of this. Don't worry, Ramesh. I don't think that we're just having a conversation. I don't even think any of this is going to be in. It's a fun conversation, though. It's all being recorded, so... You'll figure out a way, but no, the irony of all this is that cinema started with silent comedies, with visual comedies, with physical comedies, something that I think we've forgotten, which is the Buster Keatons, the Harold Lloyds, the Charlie Chaplins, and it's being rediscovered in an action film like um, 
Mm-hmm. Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. right? George Absolutely. Miller. Even the general, right, is now Mad Max Fury Even Road. better is John Wick the, right. Chapter 4, the stair sequence, which is basically a Harold Lloyd sequence yes. in an action yeah. movie. That there's walking with them with the Montmartre stairs. So the, laugh, yeah. the audience laughs yeah. so hard when he falls down all those stairs, and you realize yeah. he has to go back up. And, and and this is the other thing we didn't talk about, which is the Jackie oh, yeah. Chan movies, which they're yeah, taking yeah. from. Yeah, which absolutely. is you come out here. We're yeah, talking about absolutely. the proscenium. You're locking the camera, and they're fighting mm-hmm. in the proscenium. So things are happening. You're not cut, cut, cut. When I saw the latest. Uh, I won't say the action movie starts with the B, okay. <laughs> uh, the letter B, and it involves B. That cuts so much, right? The modern fight scene is like cut, cut, cut mm-hmm. for the fight to work. This is like John Wick, where you're seeing the fight play out, just like a mm-hmm. great Jackie Chan movie. There is that's how mm-hmm. comedy works. They're using the comedy technique and mm-hmm. tropes for those action scenes, and that's why that. Stair, staircase scene in John Wick 4 is amazing and why you laugh you are gasping at it you're having an emotional reaction to it it's being presented to you in almost a silent yeah. comedy mm-hmm. way and it's great That's that is one of the best scenes of many yeah. good scenes in that movie cool I think we nailed it <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're going to do with any of this You've got a story inside you, a screenplay no one has ever thought of, a novel you've been rolling around inside your coconut for years. Maybe you wrote a few pages and stalled out. Maybe you even wrote a whole draft but don't feel confident it's any good. Or maybe you've been writing draft after draft after draft and slamming into writer's blocks or dead ends or wandering into the weeds. Maybe you just have a few scenes centered around some dope high concept, but you don't know how to develop a character, much less construct a plot that would generate a character arc. Maybe all you have is some simmering spark of an idea. simple desire to write a story. This book is for you. Story by Numbers is a step-by-step process. It gives you the tools to construct a plot that fleshes out your story with characters so real, so compelling, so multidimensional, you begin to wonder if you're possessed. Story by Numbers is composed of three parts. Part 1 gives you an overview of the 4-act structure, 24 plot points, 8 sequences. Part 2 is a 35-question examination of your story that will guide you through developing and outlining your novel or screenplay into the 4-act template. Part 3, well, that's just next-level dope shit. This isn't just another book on theory. Story by Numbers is a diagnostic toolkit for developing and fine-tuning your story. You'll also want to pick up the Story by Numbers workbook. For each story you're writing, you'll need a journal to organize your ideas. The Story by Numbers workbook is a companion notebook that walks you through the process as you outline your story and guide you through each phase of development. From constructing your protagonist's internal drive to plotting conflicts that expose character to composing scenes that drive compelling stories. By the time you've completed your story by number workbook, you'll be ready to finish your manuscript. Whenever you ask a writer what it takes to write a good story, they usually say there are no rules. If you want to know what they really think, ask them about a novel or movie they hate. Immediately, they'll unload a litany of do's and don'ts so specific, so precise, you'd think they're citing commandments. We all know following a formula is what turns stories into zombified, hacky imitations of better stories. You don't want a formula. You want a process. 
a method composed of practical principles that breathe life into your concept. You don't want some bullshit magical key. You just want to know what works and what doesn't. Does your story resonate or not? Everyone knows there are no rules for writing a great story. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, here are the rules. Story by numbers. Write more, better, faster, doper.